Well, so awesome. Thank you, Rayleigh. That's my oldest daughter. Um, is that mic on? Yeah? Okay. All right. That's my oldest daughter, Rayleigh. My name is Katie. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope City Church, and I am just so thrilled that you're here uh, celebrating Mother's Day with us for all the moms in the room, aunts, guardians. Uh, honestly, it's just like Women's Day, Female Day, because even if you don't have children of your own, you are... Um, a figure in someone's life, influencing them, and you are doing all the things. And we just love you all uh, so much. And I do know that Mother's Day can be, you know, bring a lot of different emotions. Uh, joy is one of the things I think about. But then also there's um, times where it's a time of sadness and mourning. Maybe um, you've lost your mother or um, maybe you're, you know, missing them. Or maybe you are trying to become a mother and haven't had that opportunity yet and you're praying. But just know that we're praying for you. We love you. Uh, we would love to come alongside you in any journey that you're on right now. But we're just glad that you're here with us today for this Mother's Day um, celebration. And I'm just honored to be able to speak today. Um, but it's not just Mother's Day weekend. In case you uh, had, hadn't noticed, we are in Louisville, Kentucky, which means it's Derby Week, right? Derby Week. How many of you all had some awesome fun plans throughout Derby Week? Like went to the chow wagon, went to the track. Okay, okay. Had a party. No, it, it's all over your news feed. People with their fascinators, their hats. It's been an awesome uh, time this past couple, this past week. It feels um, like, you know, Derby Week is a big deal around here. If you grew up in Louisville, you know that. And I uh, actually, yesterday during Derby, uh, we cleaned the entire house and uh, purged a lot of things. So that was how I celebrated Derby. Because uh, in the Ellis house, when you have a free Saturday, you take on a big project and you finish it and you feel accomplished and you love it. Well, after it's over, you love it, and uh, you can ask my kids and my husband if they loved it or not, but that's how we celebrated Derby. I did actually get to go to uh, Thurby for the first time. My sister Allie and I went. We ran into a few of you all out there, and that was a lot of fun. That was our first time going to Thurby because normally our tradition, our family tradition, is to go to the Pegasus Parade every year. This year, they actually moved to Sunday, which kind of threw us off a little bit, so we weren't re ready for that. I had only actually had been at the Pegasus Parade every year up until 2020. I've only missed two my entire life. And one was like a softball game. The other one, I was like away at college at a final. And I guess, you know, on the other side, you know, when you're not in Louisville, you still go to school on Thursdays and Derby Week or whatever. But so this is our family tradition. Every single year, we had a spot at the corner of Broadway and Clay in front of the tire store. And there's fried chicken. And everybody that comes aunts, uncles, cousins, friends know that like you bring some snacks, you bring some drinks, bring a blanket, and we are there every single year at the Pegasus Parade for as long as, you know, even before I was born, it was a family tradition. So, so um, anybody that knew us, like they just assumed we were going to be there. They, were just gonna, they knew that like if they showed up at Clay and Broadway on the Thursday before Derby, the Ryan family will be there and we will be excited to have you. So that's how traditions work. You just 
do it every year. It's what you do, right? So in the story that Rayleigh read for us, we are, it's a tradition that Jesus' family goes to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so this year is not any different than any other year. They um, are walking. It's, and I'm sure that it's similar to our traditions where we run into people we haven't seen in a year since last year. Um, we get to see them. And so they're, they're walk, they actually walk from Nazareth to Jerusalem. It takes several days. And so they have to make camp. And I'm sure they're just having, you know, I'm sure there's ups and downs as they're traveling. They get to Jerusalem. They had this Passover celebration, and it's um, and then all of and they're leaving, and they just go ahead and just leave. But this time, Jesus stays behind. But it says that Mary and Joseph just assumed Jesus was with them. This is his twelfth year. He's twelve years old, and in those times when you're twelve, like you're like practically an adult. Like you aren't looking. You know, sometimes you read the story and you're like, how do they not know that Jesus was missing? But lots of people traveling. They know that he knows what to do. He's 12. He's done this every year. So they leave and they camp. They get there in the evening and they notice that their son is missing. They notice that he's gone. He's not there. They're walking around. Have you seen Jesus? Have you, see, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen him? And there are people are probably like, you mean like the Messiah? Like you lost him? Like what? <laughs> of all your children, this is the one that you're losing? Like, I mean, so many emotions and thoughts and feelings that you're, they're probably walking through and they realize he's not with them. They have to turn around and go back to Jerusalem. And they're there and they're looking for him everywhere. And I don't know about you, but like, I don't, I mean, if my kids were lost in a town, like I, I'm trying to think of like, where would they even go? I don't know. Like, where would they be? So they're I can imagine that my kids probably found the closest like ice cream store. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to figure that out. But Jesus is in the temple and um, he's sitting there among the people and among the people just sitting and listening to listening to the teachers in God's presence in the temple. And it was three days. It says three days they searched for him in Jerusalem. Three days. So I can imagine how they're feeling. Fear, shame, guilt. Mary could have been like, Joseph, I thought you had him. Joseph's like, Mary, I thought you had him. Like, what is the deal here? Like, we lost our son in three days. They finally discover him. They finally discover him. So by the time they had traveled, recognized he was gone, came back three days. So it's totally like four days that they're looking for their son. And it's, you know, Jesus is God, but he's also a child. So can you imagine being frantic? And it says that um, they're like, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching everywhere. So many times, um, so many of these feelings come up. They're probably like joyful that they found him, but also mad that he left. Like he knew, he knew he was supposed to be with everybody else traveling back to Nazareth. He knew the tradition. He knew that's what's supposed to happen. So all these feelings that they're feeling, but maybe they're feeling relief because, yes, he's okay. He's okay. We're good. But Jesus responds in a very calm way. He says, why are you, why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? But they didn't understand. And his parents are like any other parents. And they're like, where have you been? What were you thinking? Now, maybe you haven't been a parent who lost your child for three days, but you have faced some things, faced some hard things that make you become frantic or worried or anxious, or maybe you're facing something right now. Maybe you have um, an adult child that's walked away from their faith and you're frantically trying to figure out how you can fix that. 
Or maybe your kids are coming to you asking hard questions like, you know, why do we believe this? Or why do I have to go to church? I don't want to go to church. Or maybe they're struggling with mental illness. My goodness, the next generation, the mental illness and depression and anxiety is on the rise for us, but also for our kids. You know, self-harm has elevated suicide for adolescents. And they're coming to you and you're like, Mary and Joseph, you're frantic. You're like, what do I do? What could, what, what? And then you're thinking, I could have done something differently. I could, have, I, could have saved, I could have prevented this. What could I have done to prevent this? Maybe you're walking through that with your children, but also like there's things that don't have to do with your children. Maybe something, you know, is happening at work or in your marriage or other things that are causing you to have this panic and not know how to respond or not. Things are out of your control. So we face things in life that cause us to feel like Mary and Joseph Joseph and frantic in these moments saying, why have you done this? But how Jesus is reacting in this moment is what surprises me. Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus, is sitting calmly, listening, asking questions. And so many questions unanswered, like, did he eat for these four days? Like, he's 12. Like, has he been living at the temple the whole time? Are people taking care of him? What is going on? I I was lost for like 30 seconds at Kentucky State Fair one time in a traumatic event, like, freaked out. But Jesus is gone for four days from his family, and he is able to stay calm in these moments. And he's looking at them like, didn't you know where I would be? I'm right here. So many questions that we don't know, but Jesus is showing us that he can stay calm in a moment where most of us would have been worried or, you know, having anxiety or freaking out because our parents are gone. And he's like, I am, suppo- I am exactly where I'm supposed to be. So how do we react when things, you know, kind of come our way? Things that are uncertain. We're faced with situations where we don't know how to handle them. How should we actually, as a parent and as a part of my role here as a youth pastor, I wonder about those things. I have parents ask me all the time, like, what do I do when my kid comes to me and says, like, I'm having panic attacks? What do I do when they're questioning their faith? What do I do when I, you know, face these things? And I actually asked a, a friend of mine, he's a counselor, and he specializes in adolescence. And I was like, I don't even know, like, what do I do for, as a parent, but also how do I help these parents? And he said, the best thing you can be is non-reactive and present and just ask them questions. And that's what Jesus is doing here in the temple. He's not reacting. He's present in the moment. And he's just asking questions. He's asking questions. And so when we feel the pressure to have all of the answers, when we feel the pressure to be able to parent in the right way, when we feel this pressure to be a good mom or a good dad, or Jesus says, just be like me. Be present. Be calm. Don't react. But man, that is so hard. But it, we're like, maybe we're like, well, this is Jesus. Like, of course, he's not freaking out. He is God. But he's also human. We forget his humanity. He felt the things we feel. He faced the things we face, the temptation that we face. But how was he able to be so calm whenever? He was there alone, not knowing anyone. How was he able to stay calm when it felt like the world was spinning out of control? How are we able to stay calm when we feel like things are out of our control? 
we feel like we just keep getting bad news. We just keep facing hard things. How can we be like Jesus and stay calm in these moments? And I think we can learn some things from 12-year-old Jesus here. And the first thing you see is that he took time out of his normal routine to just be in God's presence. To just, if I can just get in God's presence, if I can just get in his presence, then I'll be able to face the things that he he knows is coming, right? So Jesus isn't just calm here over and over and over again in the gospels. We see that he's faced with storms. We see that he's faced, he's like demons are coming at him, right? People are attacking him left and right, but he's able to stay calm and not reactive and present. And it's because he knew the value of getting in God's presence. And back then you had to get to the, to be in God's presence, you had to be in the temple. You had to go to the temple. But now we have access to the Holy Spirit all the time. We have God's presence in this room. We have God's presence in our car. We have God's presence in our home. We have God's presence as we're walking um, and hiking or doing something with our kids. We have God's presence in every single conversation that we are in. But we also feel like we struggle to recognize it. We struggle to find time for it. We struggle to realize how beneficial it is. We're like, you know, I get it. Like, being in God's presence in the church, yes, that feels good. But then I, you know, go to work and everything, you know, I need to be present for my boss. I need to be present for my kids. I, need, I have too many other things that are priority in my life. Too many things going on to where I feel like I don't have enough time to spend time with Jesus. Shouldn't I be spending time being present with my husband? Shouldn't I spend time with my kids that way? Maybe you think, you know, being in church is all that you need and I was reading this story, it reminded me of another story where someone was able to find value in being in God's presence. And it's the story of Martha and Mary. You probably know this story, the sisters. He goes to their house. Martha's prepping a big meal. She's cleaning. She's, it says in, ver, in Luke chapter 10, verse 40, Martha was distracted, but Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and she says to Jesus, Lord, shouldn't my sister, it's a, it seems unfair, shouldn't my sister come up and help me? She just sits there. That's all she does. And Jesus says, Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. And every time I hear that story, I'm like, man, I am Martha. <laughs> all the moms in the room are like, yep, yeah, I'm Martha. Worried about all the details, making sure my kids are there on time, making sure everything is good to go. And I think, man, if I could just be Mary right? If I could just be her, I feel convicted. Maybe you're like, I had this big derby party yesterday and I couldn't even enjoy it because I was so worried about what everybody else was doing. But the next line is so something I have wrestled with over and over and over again. It says, there's only one thing worth being concerned about, Jesus says, and Mary has discovered it. Mary has discovered it. And I'm like, okay, what is it? If Mary has discovered the one thing that we need to be worried about, what is it? Is it laziness? Oh, that's probably not it, right? Like, is it like sitting down while my sister does all the work? No. Prioritizing Jesus instead of food and cleanliness? Maybe. I don't know. Being busy? Maybe it's like being busy is sinful and I need to, you know, learn to be still and slow down, possibly. But so many times we've been distracted like Martha. We've been worried and upset that we forget to sit at the feet of Jesus and maybe you're distracted. 
Maybe you're thinking back at all the things that you, if you would have been more present, less distracted, maybe your marriage wouldn't be falling apart. Maybe you're like, man, if I was more present with my kids then they wouldn't be making the decision that they're making, right? I remember years ago, I thought, okay, I need to slow down. I need to be more like Mary. I need to be more like Mary. I need to be more present. What am I gonna do? You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna make sure I'm present with my kids. I'm gonna go outside, I'm gonna play with them. Katie, be present with your kids. Be present, be, be focused on the things that I need to be focused on. Just go outside, just be present with them. Be present with them. Leave your phone inside. It's okay. If there's an emergency, somebody will find you. Okay, okay, I can do this. Yes, I gr- yes, be, be present. Be, you know, I'll be like, all right, Lord, help me to be present in my um, date nights with Brad. And uh, don't let my brain go 10,000 different ways. Let me focus on what's happening. Be present right here. I want you right here. Right here. So I feel like we can like white knuckle our way. I read books. I read books. I started this book called Present Over Perfect. I never finished it. So if you, (laughs) I can't tell you whether or not it's amazing, but I read books like Atomic Habits where it's like, okay, whenever, you know, if you're working, sit here. Don't sit, don't work on the couch because if you work on the couch, then you're going to think about work while you're sitting on the couch with your husband. And then just like all the things, right? Book called Essentialism. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which actually is a really good book. So if you want a a good book plug, that's a good one. But it talks about having Sabbath rest and putting your phone away and turning technology off and driving the speed limit. I did that for a little while. That didn't last very long. But but I thought I can white knuckle my way into being present for my family. I can do this. And it worked for a little while, right, on the outside. My brain was still going and things were still distracting me, whether it was worry or, or thoughts about the future or work or, you know, I love what I do, but I have to learn to turn it off to be able to be present. But what we see, what has Mary discovered? What has Mary discovered? It's the same thing Jesus is doing in the temple. She discovered to be present in God's presence. She learned to sit at his feet and receive his grace. The same way Jesus had to go to the temple to be with God, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, being present with him. See, we cannot be present with other people until we learn to be present with God. We become reactive if we are not careful and not spending time in the presence of the Lord. And like I said earlier, you have that available to you all the time, all the time. It's impossible to force yourself to be present we had to become comfortable in God's presence. And then in, uh, there's a quote that I love by, by uh, Father Richard Rohr. It says, we cannot attain the presence of God. We are already totally in his presence. What is absent is our awareness. We have access to him wherever we go. We can have his presence here. In the church, at the altar, we can have his presence in our car. We can have his presence in our home or when we're hiking. And I've learned through practice that when I take time to spend time in God's presence, whether it's while I'm hiking or sitting at home in the morning, I'm able to be more present in the world. When something comes up or fear or anger arises, I'm able to ask God to help me in that moment or I can feel him with me in every single moment because I've learned to be present with him. I've seen things in a totally different light. The way I react or interact with other people is different. There's a road over here I've driven down a thousand times, maybe more. I started driving, it's called St. Anthony Church Road, Hot Rod Haven, if you grew up around here. And I remember like a couple of months ago being like, man, this road is beautiful. 
but I had driven it since I was 16 years old. But something about being in God's presence and receiving his grace daily has caused me to be more present in the things that I'm doing while I'm driving. I still hurry, but I have time to, but God quiets my mind to where I can focus on what's going on around me. Being with God, I'm reminded that he wants nothing from me only to give me grace and mercy to provide for me, to be able to help me be a good mom, (laughs) to be able to help me be a good wife. But it's only through practice of sitting at his presence and receiving him the way that Jesus was, the way that Mary was. And when I think about Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, I think about who else in our life like sits down on the ground and receives something, right? Whether, and I started picturing like kids in a classroom, like carpet time, circle time on the ground, and the teacher is like teaching them. Or like maybe a child sitting at their grandparents' uh, feet as they tell them a story of the past. Or, uh, or Christmas morning, your kids are kind of like sitting out and you're giving them presents. See, in order to receive God's grace, we also have to receive that we are his children. And that's what Mary had discovered. Mary had discovered the benefit of sitting at the seat of, feet of her Savior recognizing she is beloved. She is his child. You are his daughter. You are his son. Receiving that helps us to be more present in the world. And Jesus, in this moment in the temple, doesn't say, I am in God's house. He doesn't say, I am in the temple. He says, I am my father's house. I am my father's house. And Jesus accepts his role and his place as the son And it says that he grew in wisdom and stature and found favor with God and man because he understood who he belonged to. And because of our faith in Jesus, we too have that. Romans 8, 14 says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. Verse 15, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. So we do not have a spirit of fear. Things will come our way that causes us to have anxiety. This world will cause things um, to make us feel uncertain. But we do not have a spirit of fearful slaves. Instead, we have received God's spirit and he has adopted us as his own children, calling out to him, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. So often we never truly accept that we are his children and that he really does want to give us good gifts and blessings. And he does want to give us peace and mercy and joy. Sometimes it's shame that keeps us from accepting that. Like, I think of the story of the prodigal son where you have the one son who takes all the inheritance and goes and blows it on wild parties and goes off and uh, does all these things. And he, he decides like, I know my father is good to servants. So I'm gonna crawl back to him and I'm gonna ask him to make me into a servant, make me into a hired hand. But his dad doesn't say, yes, you can come back and you can work for me. No, he says, no, you are my son. You are my son. He reminds him of who he is. And then what you might not know is there's other, the other son in the story who never leaves, never goes anywhere, does everything right, and he gets angry when his father is celebrating the other son. Because both were sinners, one in action and one in spirit. One became prideful and self-righteous, but they had one thing in common. They forgot who their father was. So often, 
We take matters into our own hands. We put the pressure on ourselves to be good. We put the pressure on ourselves to find value in the world by being like the older son and getting it all together, making it right. Or maybe we feel so shameful for our past. Like I can totally relate to the prodigal son of the things that I've done. And it's been so hard for me to come back and say, I'm your daughter. And then I got to watch out so I don't become prideful and self-righteous and where, you know, get upset about someone else getting a party that I didn't get or whatever. Sometimes it's hard to accept that you are his child. But when we sit in God's presence at his feet, we receive his grace and his mercy. And he says, you are mine. You don't have to have all the answers when your kids come to you with questions or you're faced with hard things that make you frantic or worried, you don't have to know anything. Just sit at my feet and receive my grace and accept that you are my child. That you, there's nothing you could do that could separate you from that. I love in the story of the prodigal son at the beginning, he's like, Father, give me my inheritance, give me this. But he comes back and says, make me into an hired hand. And he doesn't say, he says, I'm going to make you. God says, I'm going to make you into something. I'm going to make you into the person I've called you to be. I'm going to make you into the mom you want to be. I'm going to make you into that. But first I'm going to remind you who you are. You're my son. And he covers him with his robe and he puts a ring on his finger. And he does the same thing for us as we come back to him humbly saying, God, make me into a servant for you. Make me into that. We think we have to make up something. We have to you know, work for God. Now that we've messed up so bad, we're coming home, we're gonna work for God and we're gonna do things for him. But he's like, no, let me remind you of who you are. Because if Jesus has covered us, we get to say, Abba, Father. You get to say, Abba, Father. And you get to say, I'm gonna sit here. I'm gonna sit here in your presence. I'm gonna receive that. And I'm gonna accept that I am your child. They, both of those sons, we're sinners and we convince ourselves that we too cannot accept that we are his child. Because we don't, we feel like, maybe we feel like we don't deserve it. We don't feel like we're good enough. We feel like we have to earn it. We feel the pressure to be the best mom or the best dad or the best employee or the best. Our value is based solely on our belief in Jesus. We get to cry out, Abba, Father. So we look back at all of our mistakes that we've made. The way that Mary probably thought, Mary and Joseph probably freaked out and were like, we could have done this differently. We could have done this differently. We could have done this differently. We could have never lost him. I can't believe we did that. But instead, Mary looks at Jesus and sees him calmly sitting there, receiving God's presence, understanding who he is, understanding he is God's son. Jesus, Jesus models that for us. As we face things that are out of our control, as we put the pressure on ourselves to be the most awesome parent, as we set a, set a plan for us to be present in the world, as we're looking at Jesus and we're like, how can I become more like Jesus? We think we need a step-by-step-by-step -by -step -by -step process. How do I become more like Jesus? How do I do that? How do I fix this? How do I do that? But in the reality, what we see Mary and Joseph, when they came back, Mary says, it says that in, and then his mother stored all these things in her heart. There's another time that says this. It says, Mary 
kept all these things in her heart, and so she thought about them often. You see, after Jesus, her son, is in the temple and she's there with him, she isn't focused on the things that she could have done differently. She's not focused on feeling bad that she messed up. She's not focused on any of that. Instead, she says, it says that she kept them all in her heart. She didn't make it about shame or guilt. She didn't make it about the things that she had done wrong, but instead she focused her attention on Jesus. We think we have to make a plan that says, okay, I hear you, Pastor Katie, yeah, okay, I need to be more like Jesus. I need to be calm, not reactive, figure this out. But instead we need to be like Mary and just store it in our heart and think about it often. Store it inside of us that says that we can sit in God's presence and receive his grace every single day, every single moment. We can be reminded every day that we are his child, that we are his son, that we are his daughter. And when we do that, God will remind us of who we are. He will prepare us for the calling that we have on our life. It is both in God's presence and our relationship with him. It, we can accept the calling as his child. And we can become the mom that he has called us to be. We become the dad that he has called us to be. We can become the friend that he needs us to be. He become anything that he needs us to be. But it, become, it starts with being able to be present with the Lord. Saying, Lord, give me the grace today to be a good parent to my children. Give me the grace today to forgive those who hurt me. Give me the grace today to have a hard conversation Give me the grace today to forgive myself for the pain that I have caused because you've already forgiven me. But we forget that we are his beloved child and we have to be reminded as we're sitting there, as I face things that are gonna be hard and gonna be a struggle and things in the world that are out of our control, we can remember that God is right here next to us giving us grace to walk through it. As I face hard things, I don't want to just say, I'm just going to fix myself. I'm going to bite my tongue. I'm going to get through. The no, God, make me into the person. Make me into your daughter. Make me into your son. I'm going to him daily and asking to make me into the person he's called me to be. This requires us to sit in his presence, asking, listening, receiving, and accepting the fact that your value is not in anything that you do and don't do, your value is not in how good you can be. Your value is in the fact that you are his child. No, fix yourself, get it together, figure it out. But instead, receiving the grace of Jesus, just you and Jesus, day by day, moment by moment. Let's pray. God, we thank you that when we face things that are hard or scary, God, that when we are fearful, that you provide us with a way to have you in the moment with us. God, your presence in this room, but all your pre also your presence in our home, God. God, I pray that we become more aware of that. God, I pray that the people in the room that have not been able to feel your presence, maybe they're facing something that just feels uncertain. God, I pray that you just show up in their life and just help them to feel peace and strength. God, I pray that they learn to just sit and receive the blessings and the gifts and the grace and the mercy, God, that you so graciously provide. 
God, it says that you're our Father and you provide us with so many gifts, God, but help us to receive those, not hold on to our past thinking that there's no way we could still be a daughter or a son of yours, God, but instead recognizing that we are your child and that you loved us so much that you sent your son so that you can have a relationship with us. God, help us to take the pressure off of our shoulders to fix a problem or to feel like we are doing everything right, but instead just to receive the grace to get through the day today and then wake up and receive your grace again tomorrow and receive your grace again the next day, God. Help us to recognize our value in the fact that we are your child. God, we thank you for all the moms in the room, all the ones that feel like they're not measuring up, all the ones that are thinking that they have to know everything and be everything for their children. God, I thank you that you can provide them with a peace and a sense of knowing that you have everything under control, that you are their father, and that when they receive that, they can become who it is that you're calling them to be, and they can be present with you, but also present for their family, Lord. God, we just love you so much and believe that you can help transform our lives into something to where we can take all the pressure off and surrender our life over to you each and every day. In your holy name we pray, amen.